ocular surface disease. It's complex, chronic, and progressive, but rife with opportunity for the enterprising optometrist. The mission of this podcast is to make this condition more understandable and accessible to those interested in specializing in it. So let's get to the point. Welcome to another episode of the To The Point Podcast. My name is Jackie Garlick, and I am joined by my co-host, Leslie O'Dell. And we are so very happy that the stars have aligned and we're able to have our next guest on our podcast. Um, Please welcome Dr. Melanie Denton. I'm going to talk a little bit about Melanie here. She is a graduate of the Michigan College of Optometry. She obtained her OD degree there in 2009 and then completed an ocular disease residency at Baskin Palmer. She's the owner of Salisbury Eye Care and Eyewear in North Carolina. She is a fellow of the Academy. She has her MBA, and she has a really amazing educational YouTube channel, iSchool with Dr. D. Welcome, Melanie. We're so happy you're here. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. How do you have time to get an MBA? How do you have time to do YouTube? Like, who <laughs> I are don't you? know. <laughs> I don't know. I... I'm a crazy person is what I am. Um, (laughs) Yeah, the MBA happens after clinic hours. So I did it in person, actually, but it was after clinic hours. But that was before I had my baby. So that was former crazy person. And now I have incredible people around me. That's how I do it. So I like that before babies, it's kind of like what we do before we become moms and what we get accomplished AB after babies. Yes. <laughs> it might look yes. a little bit different. <laughs> I know I um, worked really hard to get my fellowship before I had my kids and I'm glad I did that because I don't know how I would have been able to fit that in um, in those early years. But I think an MBA is a brilliant idea because you are running a business And at least, you know, in my years in optometry school, that was never something that we even got a lot of time on. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit about just how you use that MBA um, to make your um, practice more successful in general? Well, the MBA was something that I always wanted to get. So even going into optometry school, I was very, very interested in business and it was something I was always wanting to do. And I gave a lot of thought to whether or not it was really critical for starting a practice or not. And yeah, I really don't think that it's something that you have to do, but for me, it was something I wanted to do. Um, I enjoyed it so much because I was in class with all of these folks that were in hospital administration and some of my classmates were accountants and um, or worked in middle management at factories that they were at and all these different perspectives on business and managing people really, really helped me with how I was going to run my practice and manage my practice. And it also helped me when I was starting my practice um, to just be a better negotiator Um, understand where the banks were coming from and what they wanted to see in terms of, you know, output and um, financials. And so I think I just skipped a lot of mistakes by getting the MBA first. And I had a lot of fun doing it because I saw other perspectives from other industries. Yeah. I mean, I'm the same as Leslie. I mean, I definitely, um, we had a little bit of business in optometry school, but I didn't pay attention because I never thought I would actually own my own practice, which is like, you know, funny how like, times change. Um, but yeah, I kind of always wonder that, like, would this help me if I had an MBA? You probably, it just probably takes me a lot longer to learn something <laughs> than like if I just would have not gotten an MBA or, you know, like the, 
the learning curve is a little bit longer probably. Yeah. And it made me into a spreadsheet nerd, right? So anything I do, I'm throwing it into a spreadsheet first and I sort of prove it to myself that it makes sense by the numbers. And then I just go, I'm like, nope, the numbers make sense. So now I have the confidence to just go after it. And that's what I've done with my dry eye clinic and aesthetics. I mean, that all um, was in a, it lived in a spreadsheet first before it became visionary aesthetics or became the dry eye center. I have seen you do videos of these spreadsheets and I must say, I am extremely impressed with your Excel um, <laughs> skills. And if that's what I can learn in MBA, I'm going <laughs> to definitely sign up because I am not very well versed in Excel, but I have seen you kind of do that, um, when you were introducing aesthetics into your practice and I found it so interesting to watch that video. So yeah, you're an inspiration to me for sure. <laughs> Thank you. I think like with the aesthetics, um, I did the spreadsheet and what it gives for me is a concrete goal because I'm like, okay, the numbers say that when my esthetician has two pay two facials a day selling them product, or she has four facials a day, not selling them product. That's where I'm breaking even. And anything beyond that is, is good for the practice is gravy. And so I can make that very real goal. It's like, all right, guys, two with products, four without two with products, four without. And we, we have a concrete goal. And that all comes from, I ran the numbers on it. I know exactly how much it takes to run this hour by hour. Um, and so I think that's very helpful. So that this is like a good segue into kind of what we wanted to talk about with you today. I mean, we're seeing a lot of shifts in dry eye specialty practices move into more aesthetic sort of settings. And we've talked to, we've had a few people on the podcast. We talked to Selena McGee and Janelle Davison, Carly Rose about all of this. And I know that you recently did this as well. And I, I do have some more, I, I have more questions about this because I've sort of looked at this angle for my practice, but I don't know exactly how one finds this esthetician and like how do you pay this person? Can you talk a little bit about like the beginnings? Like it, clearly there's spreadsheet, there was a spreadsheet involved, but like talk about that for us. Uh, okay. So the, well, the very, very beginning is like a lot of these other practitioners and I'm sure the both of you as well. I got out of optometry school and my patients started asking me about what makeup they should be using. And I was like, I mean, I don't know. I, I go to the drugstore. I'm not sure. And I mean, that was 12 years ago, but I remember being like, okay, there's something here. I'm getting asked this question all the time. And then, you know, I got the MBA, worked for other people, um, opened my practice. And then the pandemic, when the pandemic hit and we were shut down, it what it made me do was say, what do I actually want to be doing every day in my practice? Like, this is great. I've built a good primary care practice. Now I have some income. I have some ability to make some investments here. And what do I actually want my day to day to look like? And the answer to that is, I didn't even have to think about it. It's like, all I want to do is treat dry eye and talk about aesthetics and help. Um, there's such a need in my patient base. Um, and by then the YouTube channel had started and many of the comments were all based around aesthetics and, um, you know, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do about skincare and, and makeup and, um, patients needing help with their dry eye? So that's where this was all born from. In my first investment, I honestly didn't talk to that many people. I was like, all right, all the people I respect the most are using, IPL and I just bought one <laughs> and was like, jump and figure it out on the way down. Because uh, you know what I mean? Like 
sometimes I put things in spreadsheets and I, and sometimes I'm like, screw it. Let's just go. Like I'm going <laughs> to figure this out. So I got the IPL and was like, all right, I got to figure out how to sell this to people and make them understand why they need it. So I picked up a firefly slit lamp and kind of got those pieces of the diagnostic pieces together where I could tell the story for the, for the patient and make them see why they needed it. And then, of course, you start to realize all the aesthetic benefits of IPL and people, you know, dry eye patients really appreciate that. And then you're like, well, I, I'm a fool. You start imaging people's glands and you're like, oh, my gosh, all of these patients who've been on retinol, who've been on Accutane, their glands are torched. And by not addressing this, by not asking about skincare and makeup, I'm doing them a disservice. And I think that's where it really came from is like, I've got to offer this service because I can't have a really sophisticated dry eye center that addresses my patient's needs without it. All right. So that's all the background. And then it's like, well, how the heck do I do this? Cause I'm an optometrist. We didn't learn about this. I don't know. So I put out an ad for an esthetician because I wanted to just talk to some estheticians and see the deal. And I got a bite from a really, really incredible one who has her own place and had heard of me through a mutual friend. And she reached out and said, I'm probably not your girl. I have my own place, but I see what you're trying to do. And I hired her on the spot as a consultant and said, come in and teach me your business because I don't understand your business. And so we had a lot of conversations. I consulted with her over the course of several months and she helped me understand aesthetics in general, but aesthetics in North Carolina and what our laws are. And I, she helped me navigate all of that. So step one was I hired a consultant. Step two um, is we got all the, the things in order. There's, we had a lot of conversations around how do you do this? And I think this is something that people listening are like, okay, I don't know the actual answer to this because I think optometrists are doing this in different ways. Do you have an esthetician work under your license? And then everything just goes, you know, they can do what you can do and it's all under your state board. Or do you separately get a cosmetics license? And so I went the route of establishing a separate LLC. So it's called Visionary Aesthetics LLC. I got us established. There's one room in my office that's considered a salon. So we're licensed through the North Carolina Board of Cosmetology and we get inspected by that board. And then um, the esthetician and everything is under the LLC, and my optometry business is technically separate. So there's different, I don't know if that's the right answer, but that felt like the safest answer for somebody who was going into a part of a field where she didn't know the exact answer. So I was like, okay, let me get licensed in both places. Yeah. That makes sense. I had looked at this in Boston. I'm in Boston, and, and, and I looked at this too, and I think that was how you would have to go is like established as um, like a, like a salon or cause like a cosmetic sort of practice or something. I, but I wasn't, I didn't know how others were doing that. So that's, that's interesting. Yeah. So when you have a salon, you have to have it inspected and you have to have specific things that you don't need in an optometry practice, like running water within a certain footage, like a first aid kit in that room like disinfection. Um, so there's different things and they will come and inspect you for it. I also had to have a washer dryer in my office because we go through linens and we, we have a bed that we 
you know, we have to wash them in bleach. So yeah, I have to have a washer dryer in my practice. <laughs> wow. That's a part of the like inspectable item that washer dryer having that, or do you just did that for convenience? Um, I don't believe that they actually inspected that. I guess you could probably have a service or you could take it home all the time, but we ended up just putting it in the office. Oh, that's really cool. So this consultant that you hired, she ended up being your actual esthetician, right? Or no? No, no. So she, um, helped me write the listing for an esthetician and then helped me vet the candidates. So she helped me with the hiring process, which was great. And she um, actually found my esthetician by reaching out to the instructors at her old school and saying, all right, what kind of superstar do you have who's really good? And my esthetician, Amy, was really wanting to be in a medical practice. And so it worked out very well. That's really good. So what I think is really smart um, is that you would reach out, you know, and just find an esthetician that you paid as a consultant. So that is something um, you could definitely take home and do if you're trying to build this out in your own practice. But why would she want to give you all these secrets if you were eventually going to become her competition? Well, luckily, she's about 45 minutes to 55 minutes away. So I don't think we're yeah, too, that and, out perfectly. and yeah. she's so established that I don't even think she's taking new clients. So it was kind of a perfect scenario. So under this new LLC that you established, is this, um, is Amy, your esthetician, is she like a 1099 or does, do you, is it, pay, how does, how does the payment work? So she's employed by the practice or by visionary aesthetics. Um, actually, and she's paid a W-2 wage, so she gets an hourly rate. And then we do 20% of her um, services and 10% of her sales. So she gets paid out monthly commissions. And then her hourly rate, she just gets paid every two weeks. And that, I think, is pretty fairly standard for aesthetics working in a medical practice. There were some other estheticians I interviewed that just wanted a high hourly rate. Um, that were doing IPL down in Charlotte, like closer to the city. Um, but my understanding from the consultant I worked with is that they appreciate the ability to grow and, and be able to sell products because really the idea, well, and we need to talk about where aesthetics is going in my practice too, but they really can sell a lot of product and add on services and things like that. And their income can, they can see the benefits of their work. And I, that's really important because they're professionals too. And they're bringing a license to the practice too. I want to ask you about that real quick. So do you now offload your IPL to your esthetician to kind of free up your schedule or you, you still want to do that for your patients? Yeah, I think you have to ask yourself, why do I want an esthetician? And then like, what role are they going to play in your practice? And I think there's a lot of answers to this that are correct or fine or could work for you. Um, initially, and, and still, I want my esthetician to be another revenue generator in my practice, meaning I want to be able to take a vacation and she has her own standalone income. So I don't completely want her just doing my treatments because then she's not bringing in her own standalone income. And that was something that I really, I like the idea of other people being able to generate revenue for my practice. And the idea that like, if I'm not in that dark room, nothing's happening. You know, I, I don't like that. Um, so initially we tried to have her do, build her book on facials. 
And that has been slow going. We are definitely getting there. She has about six regular clients at this point. And we just started her in September of last year. So um, in aesthetics, many of the clients, you can get people that just want a facial every once in a while. But really, it's best if you get people to sign up and do them monthly and sort of make their skincare a priority. Um, so we have about five or six people doing that. Um, because her schedule is not totally full, I did teach her IPL this week. She did her first one yesterday. And we are considering, you know, she certainly could do it with eye shields and everything, but I'm not ready to let that go because I do all of my IPL with shields in place. And so I'm thinking about potentially having two levels of IPL where she can do IPL Toyos protocol without shields and I have it with shields, but that's a work in progress. I have not implemented that just yet. And I'm sorry, I have one more question, Jackie, yeah. but I'm sure you do too. But um, my other question is, so I have a woman that works for me. She's actually my scribe, but she spent a lot of time in dermatology and she was actually training to be an esthetician of her uh, on her own and had a, a, an unfortunate accident that um, li limited some movement in her one hand and kind of put school on hold for her. But she's very well versed. She's like my right hand when I am doing IPL, like preps the skin, beautifully, you know, puts the sunscreen on and um, the after gels that we use. Um, but what she taught me was a lot about skincare from the dermatology side of things. So what kind of products, if any, has your esthetician taught you about that now you might have added to your practice or, or maybe you had to teach her about? So I have certainly taught her about things like microblepher exfoliation and blepharitis and MGD. You know, they don't get training on that. So I've taught her to do lid exfoliations and zest and, and things like that. Um, but I've utilized her a lot just as you have with IPL and prepping the skin. And then, you know, I will kind of ring out for her and have her clean them up after because I joke that I clean you up like a doctor, but you know, you, you want an esthetician to do the hot towel and everything. Um, and so she has helped me with like, which brands we vetted a lot of different brands together. I, we used Lyra clinical and then we have a private label brand um, that we just got in and they're actually getting trained on it right now um, called visionary beauty. And that's our brand. But she's helped me to say like, okay, this doesn't have anything in it that's doing anything for their skin. Some of the high label, the high dollar popular stuff actually doesn't do anything. And I think from aesthetic school, they know to look at ingredients and go, no, this actually has something in it that's going to help the skin. She's also very well versed on rosacea, which is great because I think, you know, we are too, but from a different, we come at it from the ocular angle. We, she has her own standalone menu. She does um, facials. She has add-ons of, um, we call it Hydro Cleanse. We don't have Hydro Facial. So that's, we have Hydro Cleanse. It's an off-brand. Um, so she can do some suction extractions. She will do um, microcurrent. And then she does facials. And we have sort of curated our own little special eye pampering section to our facial. So we have these cold globes and um, she will cleanse the eyes with new lids if it's indicated. And she and I work together a lot. So what we've implemented since her practice didn't just like grow on its own, I think we're having to educate our patient base that like what this is and why is there an esthetician at an eye care practice? 
So what we started doing is offering free skincare consultations to every single patient that enrolls in our dry eye center. So if you're seeing me for an um, extensive dry eye workup, you get for free a skincare consult with her, where she goes over your skincare and what you're using and flips over labels and looks into preservatives and um, is very good about getting back with patients. But it also, and I'm a huge believer that in dry eye, you have to be a cheerleader and a hand holder and encouraging and like loving, right? So this aesthetics piece is, I know it's frou-frou and I hope people don't laugh at me for saying this, but there are studies and Jackie, you just put this out on your Instagram. There was one recently about the association between depression and anxiety and dry eye. And I recognize that, like, I know that that's the case. I see it in my patients and I see the difference when they get loved on. And so I offer every patient in the dry eye clinic a free 30 minute skincare consult and she puts them under LED light. She cleanses them. She does the hot towel. She puts a little product on them and she goes over their skincare, asks if they've been on retinol, asks how they're managing their rosacea. And it's very complimentary to my clinic, but it also serves this purpose of loving on them and making them feel cared for. And I think that is really, really huge and has started to build her practice up a little bit more. So we're drawing people from the dry eye clinic. We're drawing people from the patient base and then just, you know, in general, the community. Well, that takes a huge load off of you too, because that education around cosmetics can be, you know, you're going down this great abyss. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you want to have the conversation, but then you are doing it, not clogging up an exam room and you aren't doing it, but it's guided by your, uh, esthetician. I think that's a really great idea too. There's this like funny thing I found that people will do things for their, for how they look faster than they will for how they feel. Like I have patients, God love them, that I have been telling for years, we need to do this or that. We need to do IPL. And they go to their skincare consult and she tells them like how great it's going to make their skin look and how young. And they're like, oh yeah, swipe the car. Let me do it now. And I'm like, what? I've been telling you why it's going to help your dry eye. Why did you? It's just so interesting. So I, I just really think that for us, it's been complimentary and she's only helped my dry eye clinic. Well, the pandemic really pushed that too. I was really surprised to see as everybody was emerging from the shutdown that the first things people were willing to spend money on all had to do with cosmetic things. Um, and I've seen some things just about, you know, people now seeing themselves on Zoom calls all the time. They're much more apt to do cosmetic treatments just in general, because um, even though they're not back fully in their offices, they're seeing more, you know, when did they just sit and see themselves talking all day? Yeah, it was something that it was a study. I don't know if it was a study or something was published about that. It's called Zoom dysmorphia. And it's like after the with everyone being on Zooms, the number of consults for like cosmetic surgery like increased exponentially because you just stare at yourself all the time. Yeah, it's super creepy. But by the way, Zoom could give me different eyebrows now and red lipstick. <laughs> Watch out if we ever have a Zoom together. Uh -oh. <laughs> Melanie, I have one last question. How did you initially start with her, like your esthetician? Did you have her there one day a week? Did you just go on like full time with her? Like how did that begin for you guys? Yeah. So 
Um, she's with me two days a week and always has been. Um, I don't think that we're going to go to full time, at least not anytime soon. My consultant esthetician helped us get started. And the first couple of weeks came every day and trained her. Um, we have really great brands that we work with. So some of the equipment, whether it's microcurrent or whatever, um, they have webinars and they have sales reps. And so definitely utilize them to get her going. Um, I offered, I found like 10 of our top patients and offered them just a free facial because we have a new service rolling out and just made them feel special and um, asked for their feedback. So we got, you know, because she was coming right out of school, mine was. And so I wanted her to get used to, you know, she's a brand new esthetician. So I wanted her to get used to doing facials, but also um, the eye stuff as well. So started with some patients. She definitely practices on my whole team and myself all the time, which is great. Um, so we just kind of took it slow that way and then gave a few facials away and then just have had her honestly hang out and do a lot of marketing. She's great at doing reels for our Instagram and, um, doing posts and things like that. Um, she does our constant contact to try to, to get patients in. We're just very much in the building. And then she just, you know, kind of hangs out. And if I have a patient who has questions about makeup in the exam room, I'll just call her in and be like, you know what? I have an esthetician here, but she didn't know that. Let's have her talk to you about it because she knows better. <laughs> yeah, that's great. It's, what a great resource. Um, you know, this, the, 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 this podcast is always like, we're like, it's just going to be like 20, 25 minutes. Of <laughs> like every single time like I'm always like man I wish we had more time I have so many more questions then we always have a big long to-do list of what we have to do in our own <laughs> clinics better we're always inspired by guests like you so um it's amazing what other people can get accomplished <laughs> yeah totally um, but you like, can't forget real quick just to tell us about your YouTube in just a quick nutshell because I think YouTube is a really exciting way to kind of just get to the greater public, even if it's not the patients that you serve. And I, I think you do a fantastic job of educating um, on that platform. Thank you. Um, I'm just the kind of person that if I, I, like we joke, I could not ever work for anybody. Like, I don't know why I didn't see that sooner, but like, because I thrive in being able to come up with ideas and just put them into action right now. And I think that's what you see in like the aesthetics and stuff. I just... I can just go ahead and do it, which is so much fun. But YouTube um, originated because I was new to this town. I was starting a, t a practice in a town that I wasn't from. I didn't know anybody. And I sort of figured out that Google owns YouTube. And I thought I could hack the SEO by making these videos. And I felt like I could have my patients get to know me and my personality and how I'm a goofball but also provide education and also get to the top of the Google listing so I could build my patient base. So that's what it was. And then it became, it became this whole thing. So, <laughs> so, so now it's like um, most of the people watching are not even from my area and it's become all about dry eye and aesthetics. And it's just a lot of fun because it's become a community where people can share their stories with each other and I can provide education and, um, and I love it. It's just, and I, I also love, um, way back, I was a CNA um, in, up, in optometry school and college. I was a nursing assistant. 
And one thing I witnessed all the time was doctors rounding and coming in the room and being like, this, this, and this is wrong. We're going to do this, this, and this. And then they'd walk out and the patient would look at me and be like, what did they just say? And so part of YouTube for me, and especially in a dry eye aesthetics clinic where we're very specialty and very high touch, it's giving patients a piece of me at home too. So it's like, hey, you know, I've answered all of these questions on YouTube as well. When you go home, don't Google it. You know, don't WebMD it. I made a video about it. So if you want to know what I think, you can access me after hours. And I think patients really like that. Um, and it's just been a lot of fun to do. Yeah, you are like the epitome of a great educator. I mean, you can just tell you really love doing them and you have a whole YouTube channel dedicated to it. But um, yeah, this is this is great. I, I really appreciate you like talking to us about how you are building your aesthetics, you know, practice. There's been a lot of talk of that lately. So I think it's great to to talk with someone who is a great teacher and can say, this is how I did it. These are, you know, I take these steps and that's, it's, it's extremely helpful. So I want to, I want to thank you so much for like teaching us all of that. I have like, um, a list of things I need to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're welcome. And the other thing is in a month when people are listening to this, like, half of it will probably have changed. And I think like when you're doing something like aesthetics, you just roll with it. Like I, you know, Leslie was asking about what I'm having my esthetician do. And you know, the dream is she has her own book, but while we're building it, she's providing certain services for my patients and I may have her do some IPL, but it's all just like, and I think being business owners too, all, all three of us do that. And Lord, you just have to roll with it all the time. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, Melanie, for being here. This was um, a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. And now for the to the point wrap up. When working in dry eye, it's important to invest in yourself. Thinking about things that might help grow your business would be getting your MBA. This is something you might be able to do after clinic hours and there's a lot of great online resources even. Building an aesthetics portion of your dry eye clinic blends well what we're doing to try to keep the ocular surface pristine and also balance beauty routines and chemical loads um, and really just all of the insults that patients face from a day-to-day -day basis with their cosmetic routine. It's great to think outside the box. And Dr. Denton had some valuable points as to how to hire consultants in so you can learn more about another profession and help add those services to the ones you're already providing for patients.